Chapter 15 of Castle Richmond by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 15. Diplomacy. About a week after the last conversation that has been related as having taken place at the Canturk Hotel, Mr. Mollett, Jr. was on his way to Castle Richmond. He had on that occasion stated his intention of making such a journey with the view of freshening the old gentleman up a bit and, although his father did all in his power to prevent the journey, going so far on one occasion as to swear that if it was made he would throw over the game altogether, nevertheless Aby persevered. "'You may leave the boards whenever you like, Governor,' said Aby. "'I know quite enough of the part to carry on the play.' "'You think you do,' said the father in his anger. "'But you'll find yourself in the dark yet before you've done.' And then again he expostulated in a different tone. You'll ruin it all, Aby. You will indeed. You don't know all the circumstances. In indeed, you don't. Don't I? said Aby. Then I'll not be long learning them. The father did what he could, but he had no means of keeping his son at home, and so Aby went. Aby doubtless entertained an idea that his father was deficient in pluck for the management of so difficult a matter, and that he could supply what his father wanted. So he dressed himself in his best and having hired a gig and a man, who he flattered himself would look like a private servant, he started from Cork, and drove himself to Castle Richmond. He had on different occasions been down in the neighbourhood, prowling about like a thief in the night, picking up information, as he called it, and seeing how the land lay. But he had never yet presented himself to anyone within the precincts of the Castle Richmond demesne. His present intention was to drive up to the front door, and ask at once for Sir Thomas Fitzgerald, sending in his card, if need be, on which were printed the words, Mr. Abraham Mollett, Jr., with the additional words, Piccadilly, London, written in the left-hand lower corner. I'll take the bull by the horns, said he to himself. It's better to make the spoon at once, even if we do run some small chance of spoiling the horn. And that he might be well enabled to carry out his purpose with reference to this bull, he lifted his flask to his mouth as soon as he had passed through the great demean gate, and took a long pull at it. "'There's nothing like a little jumping powder,' he said, speaking to himself again, and then he drove boldly up the avenue. He had not yet come in sight of the house when he met two gentlemen walking on the road. They, as he approached, stood a little on one side, not only as so as to allow him to pass, but to watch him as he did so. They were Mr. Summers and Herbert Fitzgerald. "'It's the younger of those two men, I'm nearly certain of it,' said Summers as the gig approached. "'I saw him as he walked by me in Canturk Street, and I don't think I can mistake the horrid impudence of his face. I beg your pardon, sir.' Now he addressed Mollet in the gig. "'But are you going up to the house?' "'Yes, sir, that's my notion just at present. Any commands that way?' Uh, this is Mr. Fitzgerald, uh, Mr. Herbert Fitzgerald, and I am Mr. Summers, the agent. Can we do anything for you? Aby Mollett raised his hat, and the two gentlemen touched theirs. Thank you, sir, said Aby, but I believe my business must be with the worthy baronet himself, more particularly as I happen to know that he's at home. My father is not very well, said Herbert, and I do not think that he will be able to see you. I'll take the liberty of asking and of sending you my card, said Aby and he gave his horse a flick, as intending thus to cut short the conversation. 
but Mr. Summers had put his hand upon the bridle, and the beast was contented to stand still. "'If you'll have the kindness to wait a moment,' said Mr. Summers, and he put on a look of severity which he well knew how to assume, and which somewhat cowed poor Aby. "'You have been down here before, I think,' continued Mr. Summers. "'What, at Castle Richmond? No, I haven't. And if I have, what's that to you if Sir Thomas chooses to see me? I ain't intruding, I suppose.' You've been down at Cantor before, once or twice, for I have seen you. And supposing I've been there ten or twelve times, what is there in that? said A.B. Mr. Summers still held the horse's head, and stood a moment considering. I'll thank you to let go of me off, said A.B., raising his whip and shaking the reins. What do you say your name is? asked Mr. Summers. I didn't say my name was anything yet. I ain't ashamed of it, however, nor haven't any cause to be. That's my name, and if you'll send my card in to Sir Thomas with my compliments, and say that I have three words to say to him very particular, why, I'll be obliged to you. And then Mr. Mollet handed Mr. Summers his card. Mollet, said Mr. Summers very unceremoniously. Mollet, Mollet, do you know the name, Herbert? Herbert said that he did not. It's about business, I suppose, asked Mr. Summers. Yes, said Aby, private business, very particular. The same that brought your father here. Mr. Summers again looked into his face with a close scrutiny. Aby was abashed, and for a moment or two he did not answer. Well then, it is the same business, he said at last. And I'll thank you to let me go on. I'm not used to be stopped in this way. You can follow us up to the house, said Mr. Summers to him. Come here, Herbert. And then they walked along the road in such a way that Aby was forced to allow his horse to walk after them. These are the men who are doing it, said Mr. Summers in a whisper to his companion. Whatever is in the wind, whatever may be the cause of your father's trouble, they are concerned in it. They are probably getting money from him in some way. You think so? I do. We must not force ourselves upon your father's confidence, but we must endeavour to save him from his misery. You go into him with this card. Do not show it him too suddenly, and then find out whether he really wishes to see the man. I will stay about the place, for it may be possible that a magistrate will be wanted, and in such a matter you had better not act. They were now at the hall door, and Summers, turning to Mollet, told him that Mr. Herbert Fitzgerald would carry the card to his father. And then he added, seeing that Mollet was going to come down, You had better stay in the gig till Mr. Fitzgerald comes back. Just sit where you are. You'll get an answer all in good time. Sir Thomas was crouching over the fire in his study when his son entered, with his eyes fixed upon a letter which he held in his hand, and which, when he saw Herbert, he closed up and put away. Father, said Herbert, in a cheerful, everyday voice, as though he had nothing special to communicate, there is a man in a gig out there. He says he wants to see you. A man in a gig? And Herbert could see that his father had already begun to tremble. But every sound made him tremble now. Yes, a man in a gig. What is it he says his name is? I have his card here. A young man. Oh, a young man, said Sir Thomas. Yes, here it is. Abraham Mollet. I can't say that your friend seems to be very respectable, in spite of his gig. And Herbert handed the card to his father. The son purposely looked away as he mentioned the name, as his great anxiety was not to occasion distress. But he felt that the sound of the word had been terrible in his father's ears. Sir Thomas had risen from his chair, but he now sat down again, or rather fell into it. 
but nevertheless he took the card and said that he would see the man. A young man, do you say, Herbert? Yes, father, a young man. And father, if you're not well, tell me what the business is and let me see him. But Sir Thomas persisted, shaking his head and saying that he would see the man himself. Summers is out there. Will you not let him do it? No. I, I wonder, Herbert, that you could tease me so. Let the man be sent in here, but... Oh, Herbert, Herbert. The young man rushed round and kneeled at his father's knee. What is it, father? Why will you not tell me? I know you have had some grief, and cannot you trust me? Do you not know that you can trust me? My poor boy, my poor boy. What is it, father? If this man here is concerned in it, let me see him. No, no, no. Or, at any rate, let me be with you when he is here. Let me share your trouble if I can do nothing to cure it. But, my darling, leave me and send him in. If it be necessary that you should bear this calamity, it will come upon you soon enough. But I am afraid of this man, for your sake, father. He will do me no harm. Let him come to me. But, Herbert, say nothing to Summers about this. Summers has not seen the man, has he? Yes. We both spoke to him together as he drove up the avenue. And what did he say? Did he say anything? Nothing but that he wanted to see you, and then he gave his card to Mr. Summers. Mr. Summers wished to save you from the annoyance. Why should it annoy me to see any man? Let Mr. Summers mind his own business. Surely I can have business of my own without his interference. With this, Herbert left his father and returned to the hall door to usher in Mr. Mollett, Jr. Well, said Mr. Summers, who was standing by the hall fire and who joined Herbert at the front door. My father will see the man. And have you learned who he is? I have learned nothing but this, that Sir Thomas does not wish that we should inquire. Now, Mr. Mollett, Sir Thomas will see you, so you can come down. Make haste now. And remember that you are not to stay long, for my father is ill. And then, leading Abby through the hall and along a passage, he introduced him to Sir Thomas's room. And Herbert, said the father, whereupon Herbert again turned round. His father was endeavouring to stand, but supporting himself by the back of his chair. Do not disturb me for half an hour, but come to me then and knock at the door. This gentleman will be done by that time. If we do not put a stop to this, your father will be in a madhouse or on his deathbed before long. So spoke Mr. Summers in a low, solemn whisper when Herbert again joined him at the hall door. Sit down, sir, sit down, said Sir Thomas, endeavouring to be civil and to seem at his ease at the same time. Abby was himself so much bewildered for the moment that he hardly perceived the embarrassment under which the baronet was labouring. Abby sat down in the way usual to such men in such places, on the corner of his chair, and put his hat on the ground between his feet. Then he took out his handkerchief and blew his nose, and after that he expressed an opinion that he was in the presence of Sir Thomas Fitzgerald. "'And you are Mr. Abraham Monnet,' said Sir Thomas. "'Yes, Sir Thomas, that's my name. I believe, Sir Thomas, that you have the pleasure of some slight acquaintance with my father, Mr. Matthew Mollet.' What a pleasure under such circumstances. Sir Thomas, however, nodded his head, and Amy went on. Well now, Sir Thomas, business is business, and my father, he ain't a good man of business. A gentleman like you, Sir Thomas, has seen that with half an eye, I know. And then he waited a moment for an answer. But as he got none, he proceeded. 
My governor's one of the best of fellows going, but he ain't sharp and decisive. Sharp's the word nowadays, Sir Thomas, ain't it? He spoke this in a manner so suited to the doctrine which he intended to inculcate that the poor old gentleman almost jumped up in his chair. And Aby, seeing this, seated himself more comfortably in his own. The awe which the gilt bindings of the book and the thorough comfort of the room had at first inspired was already beginning to fade away. He had come there to bully, and though his courage had failed him for a moment under the stern eye of Mr. Summers, it quickly returned to him now that he was able to see how weak was his actual victim. Sharp's the word, Sir Thomas, and my, my governor, he ain't sharp, not sharp as he ought to be in such a matter as this. This is what I calls a real bit of cheese. Now, it's no good going on piddling and peddling in such a case as this, is it now, Sir Thomas? Sir Thomas muttered something, but it was no more than a groan. Not the least use, continued Aby. Now, the question, as I takes it, is this. There's your son there who has fetched me in here. A fine young gentleman he is, as ever I saw. I will say that. Well, now, who's to have this here property when you walk the plank? As walk it you must some day, in course. Is it to be this son of yours, or is it to be this other Fitzgerald of Happy House? Now, the ask me, I'm all for your son. Then maybe he mayn't be all right as regards the dam. There was certainly some truth in what Aby had said with reference to his father. Mr. Mollett Senior had never debated the matter in terms sharp and decisive as these were. Think who they were of whom this brute was talking to that wretched gentleman, the wife of his bosom, than whom no wife was ever more dearly prized, the son of his love, the centre of all his hopes, the heir of his wealth, if that might still be so. And yet he listened to such words as these, and did not call in his servants to turn the speaker of them out of his doors. I've no wish for that Abbey House man, Sir Thomas, not the least. And as for your good lady, she's nothing to me one way or the other, whatever she may be to my governor. And here there fell a spasm upon the poor man's heart, which nearly brought him from the chair to the ground. But nevertheless he still contained himself. My governor's former lady, my own mother, continued Aby, whom I never seed. She's gone to kingdom come, you know, before that time, Sir Thomas. There ain't no doubt about that. So you see. And hereupon he dropped his voice from the tone which he had hitherto been using to an absolute whisper, and, drawing his chair close to that of the baronet, and putting his hand upon his knees, brought his mouth close to his companion's ear. So you see, he said, when that youngster was born, Lady F was Mrs. M wasn't she? And for the matter of that, Lady F is Mrs. M to this very hour. That's the real chat, ain't it, Sir Thomas? My stepmother, you know. The governor could take her away with him tomorrow if he chose, according to the law of the land, couldn't he now? There was no piddling or peddling about this, at any rate. Old Mollet, in discussing the matter with his victim, had done so by hints and innuendos, through long windings by signs and the dropping of a few dark words. He had never once mentioned in full terms the name of Lady Fitzgerald, and never absolutely stated that he did possess, or ever had possessed, a wife. It had been sufficient for him to imbue Sir Thomas with the knowledge that his son Herbert was in great danger as to his heritage. Doubtless the two had understood each other, but the absolute naked horror of the surmised facts 
had been kept delicately out of sight. But such delicacy was not to Aby's taste. Sharp, short and decisive, that was his motto. No longer ambergaze for him. The whip was in his hand, as he thought, and he could best master the team by using it. And yet Sir Thomas lived and bore it. As he sat there half stupefied and numbed, as it were, by the intensity of his grief, he wondered at his own power of endurance. She is Mrs. M, you know, ain't she now? He could sit there and hear that, and yet live through it. So much he could do and did do. But as for speaking, that was beyond him. Young Mollet thought that this freshening up of the old gentleman seemed to answer. So he continued, Yes, Sir Thomas, your son's my favourite, I tell you fairly. But then, you know, if I backs the favourite, in course I likes to win upon him. How is it to be now? Then he paused for an answer, which, however, was not forthcoming. You see, you haven't been dealing quite on the square with the governor. You two is, as it were, in a boat together. We'll call that boat the Lady F, or the Mrs M, whichever you like. <laughs> and then Aby laughed, for the conceit pleased him. But the earnings of that boat should be divided equally. Ain't that about the ticket, eh, Sir Thomas? Come, they'd be down on your luck. A little quiet talky-talky between you and me'll soon put this small matter on a right footing. What is it you want? Tell me at once, at last groaned the poor man. Well, now, that's something like. I'll tell you what we want. There are only two of us, you know, the governor and I. And very lonely we are, for it's a sad thing for a man to have the wife of his bosom taken from him. And there was a groan which struck even Aby's ear. But Sir Thomas was still alive and listening, and so he went on. The property here, Sir Thomas, is a good twelve thousand a year. I know all about it, as though I've been handling it myself for the last ten years. And a great deal of cutting there is in twelve thousand a year. You've had your whack out of it. Now, now we want to have all. That's English, ain't it? Did your father send you here, Mr. Mollet? Never you mind who sent me, Sir Thomas. Perhaps he did, and perhaps he didn't. Perhaps I came without any standing. Perhaps I'm more up to this sort of work than he is. At any rate, I've got the part pretty well by art. You see that, don't you? Well, our ultimatum about the business is this. £40,000 paid down on the nail, after the governor, and after your humble servant, before the end of this year. A couple of thousand more in hand for the year's expenses, and, uh, and a couple of hundred or so now, at once, before I leave you. For to tell the truth, we've run uncommonly dry just at the present moment. And then Aby drew his breath and paused for an answer. Also Thomas was now almost broken down. His head swam round and round, and he felt that he was in a whirlpool from which there was no escape. He had heard the sum named, and knew that he had no power of raising it. His interest in the estate was but for his life, and that life was now all but run out. He had already begun to feel that his son must be sacrificed, but he had struggled and endured in order that he might save his wife. But what could he do now? What further struggle could he make? His present most eager desire was that that horrid man should be removed from his hearing and his eyesight. But Aby had not yet done. 
He had hitherto omitted to mention one not inconsiderable portion of the amicable arrangement, which, according to him, would have the effect of once more placing the two families comfortably on their feet. "'There's one other point,' said Thomas, he continued, "'and if I can bring you and your good lady to my way of thinking on that, "'why, we may all be comfortable for all that is come and gone. "'You've a daughter, Hamelaine.' "'What?' said Sir Thomas, turning upon him, "'for there was still so much of life in him that he could turn upon his foe "'when he heard his daughter's name thus polluted. "'As lovely a gal to my way of thinking as my eyes ever rested on.' I am not accounted a bad judge of such cattle, I can tell you, Sir Thomas. That will do, that will do, said Sir Thomas, attempting to rise, but still holding on by the back of his chair. You can go now, sir. I cannot hear more from you. Go? Yes, sir, go. I know a trick worth two of that, Sir Thomas. If you like to give me your daughter, Hemeline, for my wife, whatever her fortune's to be, I'll take it as part of my half of the forty thousand pounds. There now. Nade Aby again waited for a reply. But now there came a knock at the door, and following quick upon the knock, Herbert entered the room. Well, father, said the son. Herbert? Yes, father. And he went round and supported his father on his arm. Herbert, will you tell that man to go? Come, sir, you have disturbed my father enough. Will you have the kindness to leave him now? I may chance to disturb him more, and you do, sir, if you treat me in that way. Let go my arm, sir. Am I to have any answer from you, Sir Thomas? Sir Thomas could make no further attempt at speaking. He was now once more seated in his chair, holding his son's hand, and when he again heard Mollet's voice, he merely made a sign for him to go. "'You see the state my father is in, Mr. Mollett,' said Herbert. "'I do not know what is the nature of your business, "'but whatever it may be, you must leave him now.' "'He made a slight attempt to push the visitor towards the door. "'You'd better take care what you're doing, Mr. Fitzgerald,' said Mollett. "'By God, you had. "'If you anger me, I might say a word that I couldn't unsay again, "'which would put you into Queer Street, I can tell you. "'Don't quarrel with him, my boy. "'Pray don't quarrel with him, but let him leave me.' said Sir Thomas. Mr. Mollett, you see my father's state. You must be aware that it is imperative that he should be left alone. I don't know nothing about that, young gentleman. Business is business, and I ain't got any answer to my proposals. Sir Thomas, do you say yes to them proposals? Sir Thomas was still dumb. To all but the last? Come, continued Aby, that was putting quite as much for your good as it was for mine. But not a word came from the baronet. Then I shan't stir, said Aby, again seating himself. Then I shall have the servants in, said Herbert, and a magistrate who is in the hall. And he put his hand towards the handle of the bell. Well, as the old gentleman's hill, I'll go now and come again. But look you here, Sir Thomas, you've got my proposals, and if I don't get an answer to them in three days' time, well, you'll hear from me in another way, that's all. And so will her ladyship. With this threat, Mr. Abraham Mollett allowed himself to be conducted through the passage into the hall, and from thence to his gig. See that he drives away, see that he goes, said Herbert to Mr. Summers, who was still staying about the place. Oh, I'll drive away fast enough, said Aby, as he stepped into the gig, and come back fast enough too, he muttered to himself. 
In the meantime, Herbert had run back to his father's room. Is he gone? murmured Sir Thomas. Yes, he has gone. There, you can hear the wheels of his gig on the gravel. But my boy, my poor boy. What is it, father? Why do you not tell me? Why do you allow such men as that to come and harass you, when a word would keep them from you? Father, good cannot come of it. No, Herbert, no, good will not come of it. There is no good to come at all. Then why would you not tell us? You will know it all soon enough. But, Herbert, do not say a word to your mother. Not a word, as you value my love. Let us save her while we can. You promise me that. Herbert gave him the required promise. Look here, and he took up the letter which he had before crumpled in his hand. Mr. Prendergast will be here next week. I shall tell everything to him. Soon afterwards, Sir Thomas went to his bed, and there, by his bedside, his wife sat for the rest of the evening. But he said no words to her of his sorrow. Mr. Prendergast is coming here, said Herbert to Mr. Summers. I am glad of it, though I do not know him, said Mr. Summers. For, my dear boy, it is necessary that there should be someone here. End of chapter 15